Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. We shall do well ever to remember that Christianity is not a mere speculative theory that is to inform the mind, but a great practical lesson to renew the heart and to bring us back to the state from whence we are fallen. Thus spoke Charles Simeon, who died on the 13th of November, 1836. Simeon, the famed evangelical pastor and preacher, spent his entire ministry at Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge, reaching countless students and members of the community for Jesus Christ. I'm joined today with Dr. Michael McMullen to talk about a Cambridge person. Can can we talk about someone from Cambridge, um, I guess, fondly? Uh, yes, I mean, if we if we can talk about anybody fondly as a graduate of Cambridge, it would be Simeon. Just an unbelievable person that uh, oftentimes many people have never heard of before. Now there there is a modern day what's called a, the Simeon Trust that has been established uh, in the United States to help promote. Uh, solid biblical and expositional preaching. It's tied with uh, ministries like Nine Marks uh, to try to help uh, pastors uh, and also lay leaders be able to learn how to preach and communicate uh, the Word of God most effectively. They kind of travel about and do two, three-day seminars uh, on preaching specifically through books of the Bible. But outside of that name, the Charles Simeon Trust, I don't know that a lot of people know him. Yeah, and you still have the the Simeon uh, Trust uh, the original one uh, in Britain, too, that was established, um, right. you know, Simeon was a preacher and uh, his primary aim was to train other preachers uh, for evangelical ministry. And, and this is a key part where, uh, as we talk about his story, maybe we could even start with a, a definition uh, of evangelical in the time in which he lived. So, Simeon, a, a man who's in that that great long durée of the uh, of the 18th century, um, he's he's kind of at that high point of uh, of really kind of enlightenment thought in Britain of this period of uh, of really decline in religion uh, in Great Britain in so many ways, and as an evangelical, which in that time period. Uh, I would argue it, really Bevington's quadrilateral is helpful. Uh, these are people who are wanting to be uh, uh, to emphasize personal conversion, who are wanting to uh, emphasize the necessity uh, of activism, of being active, uh, who are wanting to emphasize a high view of uh, Jesus Christ and a high view of the scriptures. So as as an evangelical within the Church of England, he has a different view of how ministry is supposed to go than how the church was traditionally doing. So the original Simeon Trust was intended to actually put evangelical pastors within the Church of England churches. Yeah, whoever would have thought of, of such a crazy thing, having people who preach about Jesus and about the gospel— in, in pulpits in the Church of England, it, it seems so radical. Um, <laughs> Selena might have some words. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and of course, you know, the context of the time is, 
you know, the, the, the evangelical revival is up and running, and, and Whitfield and the Wesleys are traversing Britain and over to America with Whitfield. But uh, Cambridge is, is one of these places that's pretty much out of the way, really. Yeah. And, and Wesley only mentions it once uh, in all of his diaries, and, and basically he says, you know, uh, in one entry, I, I, I rode the miserable roads through Cambridge and, and, and went on to Lakenheath. And, and in that entry, what we have is, is a record that, uh, you know, the evangelical revival really bypassed Cambridge. It's because so much of it was happening in Oxford, and that's, that's probably more important anyway. Yeah, well, Oxford's so <laughs> central and, and a wonderful base. Uh, and, and Cambridge is kind of out in the sticks in yeah. England. Um, and, and so it really does, you know, it, it really does miss that as a central place. So when we talk about Simeon, he's, he's situated in this much broader context that's, I think, as we tell a story here, it'll be, it'll be more helpful if the, if the listener will keep that in mind, that there is so much that's going on that's dynamic. And he has this legacy that extends well beyond him. Uh, I think something that he probably would uh, smile about overall because it's such a uh, a positive thing, uh, and it, it really is a continuation of his ministry, both in the modern American uh, Simeon Trust and also uh, even within the one that operates within uh, Britain. So let's talk about his conversion because his conversion story, I think, is fantastic. I mean, he was born into the Anglican Church, grew up within the Anglican Church, but he but he has this moment of coming to faith that is so incredibly amazing. He, you know, he's from a wealthy background. So as you say, he's steeped in Anglican tradition, but uh, it's so far removed from any sense of having a relationship with Christ. And he goes off to Cambridge and he speaks later uh, at, at not knowing there were any other Christians really there, right. and uh, and and part of the condition is um, he need, needs to take communion. Yeah, so Cambridge has a rule that you have to take communion at least three times before you graduate, and so he's trying to fulfill just a responsibility to go take communion. But because of the way his brain works, he he can't just go take communion and then walk out the building. Yeah, he won't just do it. Uh, it it's like there's an integrity or something. Wow. Uh, he wants to <laughs> know, um, you know, w- what it would mean for him, I think, and, and what it involves and what the, the emblems represent. And, and clearly he's never been faced with this before. And, and so he begins to read. And so... This is where there's a little bit of debate over what he's reading to get him uh, to this this uh, space. Um, so he he reads uh, according to uh, what what I think is helpful a short and plain instruction for the better understanding of the Lord's Supper by Bishop Thomas Wilson, um, which ha- had a view in mind of kind of giving the sacrament, uh, the, the Lord's Supper, um, uh, a more important part. And in this, he's reading, and, and it's talking about um, the Jews and the, the guilt offering and how uh, the shedding of blood 
uh, is this transference of the guilt of the people uh, to this uh, this ram and in this um, uh, this sacrificial lamb, and how this begins to work through his mind. He begins to understand that Christ's work transferred away his sins and placed him on what he called the sacred head of Jesus. That's a powerful way to kind of come to a place that I actually need to trust Christ. Yes, because there's nobody witnessing to him. No, he's just reading. And and God uses the words of this book to convict him uh, of his sinfulness and, and the need to have something done with that sin. It's an incredible thing and, and you know, confirms that uh, wherever you are, you know, God can pursue you and save you and use whatever means he wishes to do that. So here he is. He's, he's, he's preparing, and it's, it's actually for Easter Sunday. And so he, he's had this experience. He goes to communion. Uh, he records uh, that at the Lord's table in our chapel, I had the sweetest access to God through my blessed Savior. And that was such a moment. He even records that the service itself was not done in accordance with Scripture yes. or anything that it was supposed to in tradition. Yet at the same time, when he took the Lord's Supper, he did so in sweet communion with his Savior for the first time. Yeah. And on Easter Day, I mean, that was such, to me, that's such a wonderful thing for God to do. Yeah in his life, a special thing that I'm sure that Simeon, you know, just never forgot that it it just meant so much. And of course, um, you know, he thinks there are no other Christians around and thinks for three years he hasn't really met any. And and that kind of gives us an indication of how dark things were in Cambridge. Now, there is a tutor, uh, Isaac Milner, who will be you know, the very means for Wilberforce uh, mm-hmm. to come to Christ, who is there tutoring. But, you know, it's Cambridge. It's a number of different colleges. And so Simeon may well have been unaware that there is another evangelical there, you know, on the faculty, let's say. So as he comes to Christ, he's, he's, he grows in his faith. Uh, you fast forward a little bit uh, in 1782, uh, the vicar of Holy Trinity in Cambridge uh, dies, and he expressed that uh, Simeon expresses that he says I he wished to be in that church leadership because he wanted to preach the gospel there and be a herald for Jesus at the university. Yeah, I'm not sure that he knew what he was wishing for. Well, because uh, it is what he did. Oh yes, yes he did. The for the yes. remainder of his days, yes. that's what he did. Yeah. God would take him at his word, and <laughs> and. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, the world would never be the same again in so many ways. Um, but in, in reading about Simeon's wish to do that and what might be possible from a ministry there, um, it, it, it should, I think, make all of us stop for a moment in what we might wish for ourselves and what, you know, God could do through such a thing. And um, because it just proves even though it can be great in God, it may not be great in life. So what do you mean by that? Because here he's given this amazing opportunity. And I think all of us would say, hey, here's the key church in Cambridge. This, If the Lord arranges for this, it's going to be the most blissful ministry for his entire life. Yes. 
Um, it'll be the ministry for his entire life. Um, <laughs> blissful would be one word to describe it. Um, he has uh, uh, the church wardens against him. They're, they yep. are the authority within the church in that sense. And, and so uh, he is not their choice. They have their eyes on another man and, uh, and, and certainly not Simeon. And so they will make his life a misery. Uh, really for 20 years, if not longer. And, and so, you know, the people in the church are encouraged not to like him too. And, and they will, you know, they have pews that they will rent in the church. And so they will lock them. So the people who come and listen and, and want to hear Simeon won't be able to have a seat because access is blocked. Um, he'll put chairs and pews in the church for people to sit down, and the church wardens will throw them into the street. And, and you know, other students will throw rocks through the windows. They will plan to attack him as he leaves. Um, they even heckled and, and abused physically the people who came and attended yeah, while I, he was there. I, I don't suspect this ever was in the mind of Simeon when uh, he was wishing that God might open the door to this kind of ministry. In fact, he actually writes down a, a letter of resignation and uh, because the ministry was just too uh, tough. It was, it was terrible. Uh, he is recounting that he was heckled in the streets, that he couldn't go anywhere without people making fun of him or yelling at him. Uh, horrible things. And there was just nowhere that he could escape this intense pressure all the time uh, about his ministry that nobody wanted him there. Yeah. And of course, it, it's because it's not really an opposition to him. It was an opposition to his message. And, and it was an opposition to the way that he presented the gospel and, and confronting people um, really with their need of Christ and, and, and being you know, at the forefront, an evangelical. And, and anything he did really didn't meet the expectations or the approval of, of most of the people in the church. Now, the church will be filled with people, mainly with students, um, and, and they will come and listen, but even they're going to be discriminated against in the university yes. and, and will have nicknames given to them. Yes. Uh, so, you know, you're a sim uh, or you you're a Simeonite or, you, yeah. you know, you, and, and, and they will lose academic awards because of following him and, and, you know, following in his footsteps. And he will have meetings on, uh, I think on Fridays and Sunday evenings where he will invite young men um, to become, you know, better preachers of the gospel. Yeah. Those, those little conversation parties that, that as he called them, uh, were such an integral part to winning over people long-term because they were outside of the context of the church. They were, they were in his home, and that would allow him to be able to instruct and to help uh, these individuals uh, be able to grow in their faith. I find it interesting that uh, another evangelical uh, during the time, uh, Charles Jerem, actually described at least some of uh, Simeon's temperament in his early ministry days uh, as a naturally haughty, impatient, and impetuous temper. And those defects were sometimes exhibited in a way which was painful to the feelings of others. Yes. So maybe I, he didn't help himself either. I, I, think, I think he had uh, growth in Christ and maturity um, uh, still to happen. 
Um, even when he was at school, he, you know, he went to public school um, at Eton, the top public school. Yep. And uh, e- even there, he was classed. Uh, one of the ways he was classed was as the ugliest boy in school. So maybe it was that, something like that, that really didn't help his spirit or his outlook on life or how he dealt with people or something. <laughs> maybe it was the unsanctified part of his life or something. But he certainly knew that uh, he had issues and difficulties that way. And eventually he mellowed, uh, he did. according to he did. to those who were there and, and part of that. And, and ultimately, too, over time, he at least began to be tolerated and accepted because uh, the university – uh, accepted him as a um, as a bursar as part of their deans. I, I mean, he helped lead uh, at the university some too. Yeah, I think once people started to recognize his influence, his effect on the town, his effect on the university, uh, the people who were attracted to him, all those kind of things. Once they got over their presuppositions about him, and. Um, that he was a fanatic and everything else that was wound up on that. Um, he, he becomes a respected figure in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. I mean, so much so, and, and you know, it's jumping ahead maybe a little, but when he dies, uh, you know, the, the city of Cambridge basically closes down and uh, he's given uh, one of the biggest funerals that people at the time had ever seen. So, you know, he certainly uh, is rehabilitated, let's say, in the eyes of of those with authority in Cambridge. And that just, I think, shows some of the power of that many, many, many of our, our listeners may even think through the power of following the Lord where he leads and even being willing to have the stick to itness, maybe, uh, of ministry. I, he He was willing to fight through, even though it it was not easy. It was it was hard. It was it was a terrible uh, thing uh, for him for so for so many years. Yeah, you have all the opposition, but then of course we have all the the blessings and the way that he is used. I mean, you know, one it's said that about a third of all Anglican ministers in Britain at that time had in some way sat under the ministry of Charles Simeon. That's crazy. Uh, he would be friends with, you know, Wilberforce. They they would work together on having chaplains and missionaries sent to India, particularly through the East India Company. And and Henry mm-hmm. Martin, who will go out as a missionary, is is called to be a missionary because he sits under the ministry of Simeon in Cambridge. So Simeon's influence is incredibly wide, much wider even than simply helping to place evangelicals into pulpits. And the first place I ran across him in my historical research was when I was doing work on uh, the London Society for Promotion of Christianity Amongst the Jews, uh, which is now known as the CMJ or the Church Ministry um, Among Jewish People. Uh, it's founded in 1809. Wilberforce is engaged. But Simeon is everywhere in the backdrop, everywhere in the backdrop. When you read the early documents, uh, encouraging uh, the the role and work of evangelism, encouraging the role of preaching in conversion, encouraging uh, those who are engaged in the the mission and the work of the organization to, uh, to be faithful uh, r- related to the task of missions. And that Builds upon, he was one of the founders of the Church Missionary Society too in yes. in 1799. So he he is the center 
uh, of so much of what is happening within evangelical life uh, during his time period. Yeah, I mean, it, you can read about his spiritual life. There are incredible biographies that have been written about him. Um, his sermons were published in a multi-volume series. He was able to present it to the king yep. um, at the time of, you know, the movement for abolition. Um, and, and you know, he, he wakes at 4 a.m. in the morning. He's praying and reading scripture, and, and that goes on for several hours early in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it, it's a man who is intimately um you know, in this intimate relationship with Christ, and, and no wonder then you have such a growth and, and a usefulness and, and a, a, a blessed ministry, really. And he even tried to help those who maybe couldn't come and sit directly under his teaching by forming his sermon skeletons, which were uh, those outlines of texts where they would be published and distributed so that there would be a starting point for maybe a, a lay pastor or a working pastor uh, to be able to start a sermon from and to be able to get up and going with the text and, and, and remain faithful to it. Yeah, he, he I mean, just the, 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 the people that he knew and those that he fellowshiped with, um, you know, he knows that the man who will become the pastor of the Clapham sect, for example, mm-hmm. you know, uh, John Venn, he knows Henry Venn. Um, it, just incredible the impact he's, he's going to have through these people too. It's absolutely uh, amazing. And it's one of those types of um, lives that, you know, I don't know that he ever had ambition to uh, do all of this, yet God saw fit to minister and to work through him. He always remained single. He never married. Yes. He, uh, he, he, yet he accomplished all of this. Um, he actually died uh, as we, our date that we're commemorating here on 13th November, 1836, uh, actually at King's College in Cambridge. And uh, it's in his chapel, if you ever visit Cambridge, that you can find his, uh, his marker stone. He's buried there in its chapel, uh, which is, uh, again, I always find that interesting just as a side note when you go into chapels in England. And it's like, these guys are buried in the floor. <laughs> well, it, 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 it seems a bit disrespectful to be walking over them. It does. But uh, it was seen as such a great privilege to be buried within the precincts of these places. So, And that's what Simeon um, thought, and that's where he was He was buried. He, he was asked when he was dying, um, you know, what, what are you thinking of now? Mm. And uh, he answered, I don't think now. I am enjoying which to me um, is just an incredible thing that uh, he could rest and, and repose uh, in the presence of Christ as he was preparing to meet him. Uh, well, with that, uh, let me leave us with a quote. Uh, this was uh, something uh, that Simeon uh, was recorded as saying in 1802 in one of his sermons. Learn, brethren, before it be too late, that without Christ... You can do nothing, that all your fresh springs are in him, and of him must your fruit be found. In him alone shall all the seeds of Israel be justified and shall glory. So thanks, listener, for joining us for this episode of This Week in Church History, and we will see you next week.